When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to yet another week of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. With you as always, Steve Haller. Joining me on this wonderful week of way too much orange news, which none of us realized, uh, Andy Pregler and Christian Guzman. What's going on, guys? We're neglected in our pre-show rundown to mention that Pete Davidson also paid attention to Syracuse for some reason. Unfortunately, yeah. that meant we had to pay attention to Pete Davidson, so here we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It always shout makes me amazed. Shout out to our shout out to our friend from Syracuse.com, Mike Curtis, who has been put on the unofficial celebrities coming to Syracuse athletic events beat. <laughs> Good beat. So it's a, it's Dude, a busy what... beat lately, but yeah. I was gonna say, uh, Christian, I don't know if you remember this when Arrow Man would just show up to a Syracuse football game yeah. once Steve, a year. Stephen Amel. Yes, yep. he. I don't really, really. I did, I did some digging into this. Apparently. This was up until the co- up until the quarantine. He had I don't know what the connection was, but he he's, had a friend. He's or... so he's from Toronto and yes. just yeah, I like he was adopted Cuse as like his team. I think yeah. So once a year for ten straight years, he and his friends would just get a box at the game and get absolutely trashed in Syracuse. And the there is a great story of apparently after he became famous for the Arrow Show, uh, a, a Syracuse fan attempted to fight him in the Carrier Dome. And yep. that was not the last time that he visited, but I think it was the second to last time he tried to visit. So that celebrity's beat has been weird for a very long time. Yeah, 13 years right, well, in a row have, he came. Why can't we have nice things? I mean, this is why in Central yeah. New York. This is why in Central New York we cannot have nice things. Yeah, that sounds right. So. It is very accurate. But you know what is nice that happened this week? Men's basketball won two straight games, which means that they are on a three-game win streak, 
We are officially streaking. Uh, I, I'm Is going to take... snowball on fire? <laughs> in, uh, a in, the immortal, in the immortal words of NBA Jam, he's heating up. <laughs> the Syracuse <laughs> Orange have won three straight games in the ACC against Wake on the road against North Carolina State. Uh, they beat Louisville yesterday. They now go to Boston College in a couple of days before heading down to Blacksburg, back home against Boston College, and then Georgia Tech. That's, we talked about it last show, it's an incredibly winnable stretch, and it feels like the ultimate troll job to do the the whole thing, where they have this giant run in the middle of the ACC play, where they suddenly vault into the top half of the standings. But before we start prognosticating on what Syracuse could do, what they have to do, all th- those different things. I think things, there's, there's a cream for that. <laughs> Uh-oh. And now we've broken broken both of my co-hosts. Love this. I love I love how we're off the rails in five minutes. I, I was very close to disconnecting and walking away. <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about what Syracuse did, uh, which was win two games. And I sent you guys a spreadsheet because I got bored after making dinner before the show and just wanted to see how big of an offensive improvement had taken place over the last three games. Um uh, I'm just going to say this. Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard have gotten inc- like so much better in these last three games. However, the how much better is better is basically this. In the ACC losses this year, Buddy Beheim was shooting 31 of 95 from the field. Joe Girard was 19 of 62 from the field. Uh, that is good for 48% for uh, that's 32% for Buddy. 30% uh, shooting for Joe. In the winning streak, Buddy is shooting 48% from the field. Joe is shooting 40% from the field. That is double-digit improvement from both of them. And uh, listen, it's not a situation where I necessarily say that you need to feed those guys because we've seen what Hero Ball can do. Looking at those guys' three-point shots during the ACC losses literally made me sick to my stomach. But I will say, when they get going, the rest of the orange offense gets going with them. So the follow-up from that... It's almost like we don't have to do any analysis. Hey, Syracuse, you want to win games? Score. Yeah, shoot Just simply score. (laughs) Just just simply be better. So the even more glaring number that you decided to put right next to that, and I don't know whether you were getting there or haven't gotten there yet, (laughs) but uh, three-point field goals? Uh... If you apparently the the recipe for Syracuse winning games is just improve your three point percentage by twenty percentage points in both cases almost <laughs> like so shoot twenty percent better from three like hit twenty percent more threes and when you take a boatload of them a game that's a good number of threes and three times that many points is a lot of points um, apparently that's just how you win games is make three point shots because. You, During you realize the streak, we've anally, what's that? You realize we've alienated about half our listener base because we are doing math. Oh yeah, but during the streak, both uh, I was going to say Juddy and Bo. Uh, that's <laughs> I, I I didn't realize we were covering the University of Syracuse. I apologize. Um, Juddy and Bo. That's it. That's is, it. That's who, is that who's on the fighting bias this year? Is that going to be the title of the show this week? Juddy and yeah, Bo. Juddy and Bo. Juddy and Bo. So actually, the the Buddy Beheim and Joe Gerard so the showed up during this streak. 
this quote-unquote three-game win streak is officially Juddy and Bo because during the normal course of the season, they're shooting 28 and 31% from three. During the course of this streak, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde version showed up and both of them are almost shooting 50%. Buddy is at 50 and Joe's at 47. So this is definitively Mr. Hyde showing up or Dr. Jekyll showing up instead of Mr. Hyde. I'm genuinely amazed with how this all played out and in general like again the numbers are just staggering i'll share the google doc in the uh in the article if you all are on the newsmagician.com site uh so that you can just see the basic numbers but the thing that got me and we've talked about this a lot uh, on this show is that the supporting cast is basically the other three starters uh Bayheim is not going to play the bench nor should we expect anybody coming off of the bench to have significant uh contributions but during the win streak, the rest of the team that is not Juddy and Bo are shooting 68% from the field and 72% from three. In the ACC losses, they were shooting 43.5% from the field and 34.3% from three. I mean, that is insane improvement. But I think, Christian, it kind of goes to the fact that there's a lot of people, cough, cough, Cole Swider, who probably should not be taking the volume of shots day in and day out that they were taking while the team was figuring itself out. <laughs> I think the more underrated part, you brought up the bench, is that Jim has actually decided to use the bench. He's just decided to use it earlier and for longer stretches of time. And as Kevin has pointed out multiple times, when you do that, it gives your starters the opportunity to rest for the important second half stretch that Syracuse has so often earlier in the season failed to show up for. And because of that, it allows the starters to stay in the game for the second half to really not only cement their lead, but pull away, which is just a big thing. And to go to your last point, no one on this no one uh, in Syracuse expected Cole Swider to be the primary scorer. And so when Buddy and Joe weren't having it going on, that started to shift. Okay, now we need someone else to help pick up the slack. Because if Buddy and Joe don't have it going on, teams can sit back and just stop Jesse from getting the ball. And then once that happens, you need someone to step it up. And... Cole wasn't hitting those shots. Yeah. But once you had Buddy and Joe starting to hit those shots, teams had to respect them, which left Cole open on favorable matchups, which is the big thing. Because he works really, really well as the second or third best option. He's not going to be the primary scorer, nor should he be. But when Buddy and Joe can actually start hitting shots and create the spaces that they started to do at the beginning of games, that unlocks Cole towards the end of the game, which is what we've seen from Swider. Yeah. He gets better as the game goes on because the teams aren't focusing on him. They're focusing on trying to stop the flaming snowballs that are Buddy and Joe. Yeah, and the other nice thing that uh, Swider doesn't have to worry about when you're up by 30 points is playing defense. So That would also, that also be a helps. good thing to not worry about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, Cole Swider has missed eight shots in his last three games combined. There were many games this season where Cole would miss eight in a single game. Uh, so right. his efficiency has just 
absolutely picked up. Same thing for Jesse. Jesse is, um, you know, he went five for eight against Louisville, eight for nine against NC State, uh, and then throw on another nine for 11 against Louisville. Like, this is... This is just a team that right now has figured out the right mix of supporting cast and stars, and they're firing at all. They're firing at 110%. That being said, I do think it's very, very important to point out that this level of shooting efficiency is not sustainable. Not even the Golden State Warriors were this good shooting the ball uh, when they were at their peak powers. There's going to be some regression here. I think really the question becomes, Steve, is this going to be a is is the mean what we saw during the loot like during the tough ACC games, or is the mean somewhere in the middle with a little bit of a higher ceiling? Like I think that that's going to determine whether or not Syracuse makes the tournament or finishes the season strong or not. Yeah, that'll be a weird one because where that pendulum swings is going to decide exactly what's going to happen moving forward if we fall off this hot shooting streak too early and you lose to one of these teams that should be a knock on wood the way they're playing easy w or a w um because nothing seems to be easy this year unless you're playing the last two games uh or losing to colgate uh that was easy too the uh sorry i'm just i'm I'm letting it rip this week. <laughs> COVID's, COVID's got me uh, all sorts of fired up. Um, but I would Does assume... The, uh, foot of snow didn't? Uh, no, no. We, I, I've been losing <laughs> uh, losing steam on that because the kid's been out playing in it. And when you're when your kid's four, you're out there playing with it with them, playing in it with them. So I, Whether you like it or I, not. Energy, energy levels, like physically, are pretty pretty tamped right now um but yeah the going into this last stretch i i think the regression will be above the mean of what we saw at the beginning of the year i think some of the adjustments do make sense some of the adjustments have been you know it's, it's jim Beheim. some of the adjustments have been the right adjustments he knows what he's doing um but the like you said the the sustainability of this pace is it's it'd be unheard of if they kept this clip up um like literally just not possible so there yeah. will be a regression i don't think it'll be as back to as bad as what we saw at the beginning of the year and what could have been the you know uh, arguably the worst team that jim Beheim's ever coached um i think they've found a couple of pieces that'll hopefully take them out of that uh that cellar so i don't know christian your thoughts <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I, it's it's so tough because yes, you're expecting this to not be the standard that Syracuse upholds itself to. It just gets scary because once it starts dropping, how desperate does Syracuse get? And does it become, oh crap, we're not making our shots? Now let's start trying to force things to create our shots, which drops the percentage even lower. And what I'm getting to that is there might not be a regression to the mean so much more than there will be very Dr. Jekyll and very Mr. Hyde. Yeah. And no transition stage in between where you would like Syracuse to live. That seems in line with 2022, to, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
the I think I think you brought up something that I really wanted to touch on, which is the I like looking at who Syracuse has yet to play. We we know what the recipe is for shutting down this team. Nothing about what's happened during this win streak has changed the fundamental philosophy that if you're if you face guard and on ball pressure Joe or Buddy when they're the primary ball handlers, things tend to go sideways pretty quickly. The difference is, is that, you know, the last couple of weeks, the Orange haven't really played anybody who's been able to do that consistently, with the exception of Duke, who is obviously still on Syracuse's schedule. So it might be a situation where if a team has the matchup and the capability to do that to Syracuse, you see things kind of grind to a halt. But if they don't, things continue to move at a much better than anticipated clip. And when it comes down to it, you really hope that something changes because Steve brought it up earlier. And I I did want to end the conversation with this is that people are starting to talk about what Syracuse needs to do to get back onto the bubble. And the reality is is that if you look at their resume to date, uh, the resume is bad because there are a few losses on there that are excusable, such as losing to VCU, losing to Auburn. Those are losing to Nova. Those are totally fine. I don't think anybody is going to fault Syracuse for losing those games. They are going to fault Syracuse for losing to Colgate at home, and they are really going to fault them for losing to Georgetown, who might go winless in the Big East. And if those are two of your like losses on your resume that you have and you're on the bubble, mm-hmm. those are bubble poppers. So the Orange are going to need to do a lot of work. That's going to require a lot of wins, and probably some big wins where we will have to, like Christian, we're going to have to see whether or not they can bring out that hot shooting persona against a team that wants to on-ball pressure them and, you know, cause problems. I don't necessarily know if they can, but I do think that this next stretch of games is going to give them the opportunity to potentially get confidence for that. Um, So it's just, I I think, yes, those who are listening did not see Steve's face when I said bubble uh, and tournament talk. The reality is, is that that is the face that everybody should have uh, until the Orange do something that can eliminate one or both of those Colgate and Georgetown losses that they currently have, just that are literally ripping the resume to, to shreds right now. Yeah. It's There's... just it's just unfortunate because after BCVT, BCGT, it's good luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those because, the not mistake, not because if I'm not mistaken... Not, those are the top four teams in the ACC right now. I'm actually going to look it up. Um, Wake might be up in there, but I, I, your sentiment stands correct. Where it's you what? It's uh, Duke. It's Notre Dame, Duke, UNC, Miami. I feel like those are probably four of the top five, if not the outright top four. <laughs> Wake Forest is still in third, but yes, it is four of the top five. Hmm. Somehow Duke found its way into into second at nine and three, even though they had a shocking, uh, uh, they had an absolutely shocking uh, out of conference. Yeah, and I th- well, I think that that's I, Christian. That actually reemphasizes my point, where I think committee members are not going to give you a bad conference loss. They're not going to look at you know losing in the grind of your conference schedule as necessarily a blight against you. Yeah, if it's against Pitt, it is. <laughs> but I do think that the out-of-conference losses that Syracuse have are infinitely worse than the loss to Pitt. 
But again, Colgate and Colgate and Georgetown are two of the teams that are just worse than Pitt in general. So, you know, not really you don't really have to compare apples and oranges too much there. Let's remember let's remind everyone that Colgate only Colgate lost by three to NC State. Yeah. Colgate's a weird team and we got them at their peak, which is peak Syracuse. Well, no, Colgate caught Syracuse in the Marina's Trench. That's what happened. <laughs> that was a great nerd reference and why people come to this show. Uh, I think I, I think at this point, obviously, uh, we're going to be in a position where next week we can either we're either going to be talking about the orange continuing this streak and us getting our hopes way too high. Or what we're going we to talk about what are we going to talk next week? That's going to be an also philosophical question. We need to yeah. answer. Yeah, for those who are paying attention to the live stream, will we go live in the middle of the Super Bowl? Probably not, but maybe one of us has a kid, the other two don't. So we'll uh, we'll have to figure it out around around I'll, the. One. I'll be here, and the Bills lost, so I really don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is that I'm not going anywhere. It's just a matter of whether or not uh, there will be a one or two people over here who get me in a state where podcasting is not the smartest thing in the world. Uh, that is that's the reality of the situation there. So we'll we'll plan that out for everybody's watching. Uh, before we get into more of the sports news that happened from this week, I think it is really important that those who are listening to us and might not have visited the site this week understand that the Syracuse Armada is now a thing that exists. Uh, I don't mean that as a joke. There is a fishing boat that literally halted the Russian uh, Navy. Uh, I don't really under I don't think you really need to know more of the story other than all of a sudden we are invested in Irish fishing boats. Yeah, we, no, need, house, that's... we, we need house. We need house divided bot to get on this like immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. That, so. I don't even, there's no even, there's nowhere to go, like, it, it's just too absurd. Like, the, a picture showed up of a boat that had literally script Syracuse all across the back, and it's, and it's literally named Syracuse, and we're like, okay, how do we figure this one out? Kevin immediately was on it, uh, got a, I can't remember who uh, pointed him in the right direction of um, Vessel Finder, so yeah. <laughs> you can shout out, shout out on Twitter. El Papone on Twitter. Nice. Thank you. Yep. Thank you for thank you for your investigative journalism, as they call it. Oh yeah. <laughs> so gotta love it. There is the uh, the the Ottoman Empire has now been uh, expanded to uh, the we naval. We we now have a naval fleet. So here we go. Okay, so which Irish athletes are we pillaging next? I mean, we already got we already got Courtney Brosnan for the women's soccer team. Okay, yep. who else are we getting? Mm. Um, <laughs> That's actually like who else do we now lay claim to our territory? Out of well, great Irish athletes. Those of you, since since both of you are not olds, you don't remember Matt Gorman and uh, no. Maddie Maddie G had a uh, a stint in Ireland playing professionally. So uh, former Irish or former Syracuse power forward from Watertown actually. Uh, played uh, played in Ireland in their professional league for a bit after the uh, Natty. So I was gonna ask the question: Is Coach Mac technically Irish or I no? He's, I think he's, he's from England. Scottish. I thought he was English. Okay, okay. English. I thought he was Scottish for some reason. 
I was I was very confused. I was going to conf- confuse him with Irish and Scottish descent, which I know is a very very thing that I do yeah. not want to do ever. No. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I I honestly don't know if we have any Irish internationals currently on the team. But this is adding new layers and wrinkles for any of you uh, 16 to 18 year olds thinking about where you would want to go to school to continue your athletic prowess and uh, are of Irish descent. You should seriously consider coming to Syracuse as we now have an Irish vessel. And again, (laughs) I I, I, my favorite part about this whole thing, and this is 100 percent a segue into our ad read is that it is script Syracuse straight out of the home field apparel collection of vintage Syracuse apparel. It is that legitimately brand alignment coming mm. coming together. Uh, I should really tweet at Connor and ask him to make us a script Syracuse boat shirt. It seems like something ridiculous enough that they would do. It would sell either a ton or none. But whatever, they have a lot of t-shirts sitting in their warehouse. They're all very comfortable. I would wear a Syracuse boat shirt. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'd be all over that. And I'm sure they could get one of their artists to, or an artist to, like, pretty it up. Yep. You know, so take some artistic not? license with it. But yeah, a Syracuse boat shirt would be, uh, does it get more noons? No. I don't think it gets more noons than that. And if you use promo code noons, N-U-N-E-S... You get 10% off your first order at Home Field Apparel. So go on there, grab that Script Syracuse t-shirt so you can match our fleet logo and uh, say hi to Connor and the rest of the team over at Home Field Apparel for us. Uh, On that note, we get to talk about football because uh, for a week that was obviously dominated by positive basketball news, a lot happened in football this week. And we're going to start with National Signing Day. So National Signing Day used to be when we would do all the talking about recruits, but now the early signing day period in December has kind of taken a lot of that luster out. However, for a school like Syracuse, National Signing Day is actually a big deal in the sense that Syracuse had a pretty solid class on National Signing Day or on early signing day. But with the number of transfers that were going out, with the number of big recruits that Syracuse were targeting that ended up being impacted by the crazy coaching carousel that took place. It very much benefited Syracuse to have open slots available on national signing day. And I feel like they used them to a pretty solid degree. So uh, Christian, what were your initial thoughts on national signing day? Now that we got to see the list of transfers and recruits as a whole coming into the program. You'll say that definitely, like, the the big, like, point is that Syracuse really, it, from what it seems like, hit it out of the park in the transfer portal uh, when you consider the uh, transfers that Syracuse brought in in terms of uh, uh, the big one being Elijah Clark from Rutgers, um, Dan Valori potentially, um, and then CJ Hazel, the one, Jerome Price, uh, doing very, very well as well. And then on from the freshman side, uh, the big one being Francois Nolan, which is uh, the four-star recruit out well, of Florida. One of two four-star recruits. Indeed. Because we did have a had... huge flip from uh, uh, Georgia yes. Tech. Yes, uh, defensive back Greg Delane, uh, also from Florida, also four-stars from ESPN, um, as well as Nolan. Um, so... Those are two big, big gets. Um, nice. The only caveat that I'll add to this 
is that I would have liked to see more wide receiver and more offensive line help. Um, Steve could probably talk more about the offensive line stuff. I think for me personally, um, yes, there's depth on the offensive line where there's no standout player on the offensive line that you say, yes, this person could help also Bergeron anchor the right side and lock it down and make sure that we don't have air on service 2.0. Um, th- that's my only issue um, in terms of the offensive line is while there's depth, there's no standout piece yet that I'm like, comfortable with uh, and, and wide receiver because uh, we still don't know who's going to be the alpha in the wide receiver room, which yeah. is the more pressing, which is the more pressing thing. Um, because I think you do need an alpha in that wide receiver room just to help out with the quarterbacking situation. Um, I know, Steve, looking at you, you, you were, uh, I don't think you completely agree with me on the offensive line thing. Uh, but wide receiver... We'll give you that idea. <laughs> yeah, but uh, wide receiver, I think, uh, was a big miss in this receiving class. Yeah. I think I think you're not that far off on that, though a couple of the... Uh... The transfers do give you a little stopgap there. I think um, I think there may have been from the receivers uh, maybe some benefit of the doubt for some of these young kids um, from Babers and you know the the staff the staff that was and hopefully the staff that will be um, the the wideouts though definitely would have been nice to grab another another piece or two there. I think the bigger issue was on the other side of the big fat men in the trenches. Um, the the O-line we have, especially with the emergence of Kalen Ellis last year, we have a solid starting five. Like, we have five guys that can very easily start, and we saw the willingness of Dakota Davis to play out on the tackle if that means Carlos Federello plays center. Um, I, I would be perfectly happy with a um, Bergeron, Ellis, Federello, um, Bleich, Bleich, uh, and um, Dakota for Davis. Don't, for, for those of you who don't know, uh, Steve has Chris Fleisch's pronunciation written on his whiteboard above his computer, yeah. and that has not been erased for a good year and a half. Nope, nope, still phonetically up there. Um, but that starting five is solid. There's a couple of young pieces that we brought in with Enrique Cruz, West Ho. Um, there's probably more that I'm completely forgetting. Austin Kwai. Uh, last year was a pretty solid talent-wise offensive line class so i'm not as worried about what they were doing there the d-line we are thin and i don't yeah, mean like that you say that i that now that you say that yeah i forgot about the d-line yeah yeah like there there isn't a lot there and not just bodies but like physically thin like there's no uh-huh. beef and uh it'll be i i would i would assume uh chris acuff will try and bring in a transfer at some point like we haven't gotten any help anywhere um just i think belazer Bessette and maybe one other deal lineman but i think that was it um and like if they don't grab one in the portal we're working with pretty limited uh bodies and pretty limited experience yeah i i'm looking at the 24 7 the total list that includes both the um uh, the early signing days and to, uh, national signing day, along with, um, you know, the uh, all the transfers and really, you know, there's there's some preferred walk on status. There's some unrated guys like Kevin Jadobi, who's six four two fifty. 
but a lot everybody that was ranked that Syracuse brought in on the defensive line really profiles as more of an edge rusher which is fine and those are really good to have it's just not what the 335 as we've seen so far needs especially Steve as you pointed out you know if you're not going to have a true nose tackle who's going to just sit in the middle and and take up blocks you really have to fundamentally change the way that that defensive line works and then what the rover does in that system and you're basically now remaking a 4-3 um which is not what the system is set up to do so i i'm very intrigued on that front i think defensive line after after all the dust has settled after all the transfers have come in there's definitely some real questions at the wide receiver position in terms of who is going to produce but you can at least see that there's guys with a solid spring and a solid fall could become contributors the offensive line has your starting five we know that the quarterback room is what it is we know sean tucker's a beast the defensive back room looks significantly stronger and the linebacker room is very top heavy and there are at least depth pieces there that we can see potentially becoming something defensive line is basically a giant question mark with not a whole lot of depth and i feel like for a team that over the last three years has really struggled with injuries that is your biggest concern considering how big of a step forward the defense has taken over the last couple of years under Tony White. So that's, I, I did not leave very much room for follow-up there. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think one of the other questions I had coming out of all of this, um, and this will, will I promise we're going to get to the football schedule soon, nerd, uh, football nerds, we are getting there. Um, but when we I take a look at the... John when he's listening and wondering why the hell we haven't talked about it yet. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Uh, I think one of the things that I'm still curious about is who is who from this class, if any, are going to step forward and play right away. And that's not because there's a lack of high end talent here. We we talked about how great Knowlton is and LaQuint Allen uh, at running back is really solid and could end up, you know, competing for that backup running back position. That being said, it feels like where. And what we need right off the bat, like Christian, like you said, and Steve, like you said, if we had had a high impact wide receiver freshman come in, they probably could have competed for a starting spot on day one. Same thing with a true defensive lineman who had the size. Instead, we've got a bunch of edge guys that, I mean, we, we'll see what happens when fall rolls around. But this might be the first time under Babers that we don't see a quote unquote true freshman start from day one and be an impact player from day one, a la Deuce Chestnut this past season. Yeah, it's, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I would say, cause you got to look inherently if you're trying to mine somebody who's going to get early playing time outside of the craziness of Kalen Ellis this year, which happened because of injury, you're probably looking at an early enrollee. So uh, another thing that happened this week is we did find out officially who is in as early enrollees. So Francois Dalton, LaQuint Allen, Dom Foster, Dennis Jacquez, Mackay Mason, Jeremiah Wilson, Cornell Perry, Donovan Brown, and the Sorcerer Supreme himself, Max von Marburg. Um, <laughs> the I think of those, you got to look to either Knowlton or Jacquez just because of the position they play. Um, as to possibly, you know, uh, getting some run or getting something early in the depth chart. Um, 
I don't think, well, I guess Allen running back is a lot thinner than it should be, but um, they seem to also want to just hand the ball to Sean Tucker and say, <laughs> here, head of every carry. So I don't know. I don't know what uh, what's going to happen there. Um, and or do we know if Josh Huff will be healthy by the spring game? That'd be nice. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, was the spring game announced this week as well? I feel like it that. was. Oh it my was. We'll get to that later. God, there's so much that happened. I, I don't know behind the scenes look at, at uh, news projection at Troy International Podcast before we move on. Uh, we when when we all load up into our chat before we um, go live, we we take a quick scroll and see. Okay, what actually happened in Syracuse this week? And every single week we go, oh my God, this actually happened this week. Yeah. And it's usually something major dropped that day after we recorded, and yep. then it just snowballs from there where it's like, oh, and that happened. Oh, and you we wrote really that article. Change. And, oh, we, Kevin said that. Yeah. <laughs> we really should change our, the tagline of our of our podcast to be recapping the year that was the past week. <laughs> Sounds about right. That, it is. That is accurate. It's amazing how long seven days is. Uh, that is always my always my revelation here, let alone when we like take a week off for over the summer. And then suddenly that week we take off something absolutely bonkers happens. Uh, so, yeah, an existential crisis that all adults live on to uh, <laughs> discover. But let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Before we break Christian even further and myself even more further, let's talk football schedules. So as we just alluded to, the spring game was announced. Um, Syracuse is going to have a spring game on April 1st, and the rest of the football schedule is as follows. I'll read it off really quickly before we get into our thoughts. The season opens on the September 3rd, uh, Saturday, against Louisville, and the Friday game is later in September against Virginia, so for those listening, every game from here on out is going to be a Saturday. Um, so they open against Louisville on the third, then they go on the road to UConn, come back home on the 17th to play Purdue Friday, the 23rd against Virginia at the dome homecoming game, October 1st against Wagner. So that Wagner game got moved later in the season, which I think is probably a win because it ends up being a de facto bye week, uh, going into the actual bye week on the eighth, when they will play the fighting buys, uh, they have Coming out of the bye week, they have the NC State Wolfpack at home. They then go on the road to Death Valley on the 22nd to play Clemson. Notre Dame comes to the Dome on the 29th. They then go to Heinz Field on November 5th to play Pitt. At home, November 12th against Florida State. On the road uh, to finish the season at Wake Forest on the 19th and at Boston College on the 26th. So... We have an article up on the website that kind of asks a lot of the generic questions that you always want to ask for the football season, like what's the biggest stretch? What are you most surprised by? What are you happiest by? Um, I think I just want to ask each of you, and we'll and we'll start with Steve. When, when you look at this football schedule, what is the first thing that really kind of jumps out at you now that you've had some time to marinate on it and really kind of sit with it and see what Syracuse is going to be working with? how imperative it is to start out the season hard and strong because once you get to that stretch from October 15th to November 5th, you're pretty well looking at, well, uh, because we're traveling to Heinz, especially, 
uh, you're you're probably looking at four straight losses right there. I mean, NC State's going to be one of the better teams in the conference, and according to Bill C, one of the better teams in the country this year. <laughs> um, yeah. For those that don't know what Steve's talking about, our our Bill C, who does SP Plus that we all use very heavily in our football analysis, is going to be dropping. Oh, that'll come out this week too. Remember that? Oh for next my god! <laughs> he will be dropping his full season preview this week. And he is teasing out that NC State might be one of the best teams in the country this year, which is terrifying. Just absolutely terrifying. And that just opens the stretch, because then you go to Death Valley, and then you take Notre Dame at the Dome, which, hey, we're going to get butts in seats, but I'm not holding my breath on that one. And then Pitt last year was a solid team. You know, uh, Kenny Pickett list Pitt will be interesting, but... Um, we, don't in, we don't win in... We don't win in... We don't win in... You know, we don't, we don't, in any sport, well, we don't travel. on field, I forgot. Oh, yeah. no. Yep, we, we don't go there and win football games. So, it, it's funny, when you look at the back half of the schedule in Florida State's the most winnable game that isn't, you know, in Boston. Kind of crazy. Yeah, Christian, what about you? When's the last time that we've had a uh, senior day that early in November? November 12th is a really early last home game. Yeah. Yeah, and that lines up funky because, yeah, the the BC uh, Thanksgiving Day game, you know, we, we traditionally go back and forth on. But to have not a home game prior to that seems a little little odd. Yeah. Um, but like like Steve said, like the the overarching theme of the schedule is you have to start out hard early because – after the bye, it's just brutal game after brutal game after brutal game. And as much as we would love to think that BC is an easy game at BC at the end of the season, when Syracuse has probably decimated its roster already due to how thin it already is, is not a fun idea to have at that point in time. So, yeah, the I'm not going to lie. The game that scares me the most and scare being in quotations because this is Syracuse version of scared, which means that we are in galaxy brain level of overthinking things. Is it against the University of Syracuse? Let's move on. <laughs> no, it is against uh, Boston College to end the year. Like, I'm, I'm looking at this schedule, and without going through every game prediction, there is a very clear path to four wins in the first five games. And... Purdue, we don't know really know what Purdue is. Last year, they were a very solid team, but one that didn't really play extremes very well. They didn't blow anybody out, and that allows for a team like Syracuse to potentially hang in there when Syracuse plays a game that Purdue likes to play, which is slow possession plotting football. So all things considered, we could be looking at a back half of the season where they are just searching for that sixth win. And like Steve said, NC State's going to be really good. Clemson is almost impossible to be at home. Notre Dame is going to be really stinking good. And Syracuse is going to be beat up after going to Death Valley. We don't play well at Pitt. Florida State's a wild card. All this is leading me to say, like, by the time that we get to that Boston College game, the roster is going to be tired. It's going to be a bull or bust game. There's going to be a lot of pressure on the program. And in general, like, I think it's worth pointing out, Aside from the one season where Syracuse, you know, won 10 games, Dino Babers does not win road games in the ACC. 
it's just not something that has really happened for him at Syracuse, no matter who the opponent is, no matter how bad the opponent is, Syracuse finds a way to lose road games. And I just feel like we could get to a point where that final game turns into just an absolute meltdown for the fan base who is going to have been sitting on bull hopes for well over a month. And there was so much about last season's discourse that was uh, pot melting over, boiling over. I feel like this is at that point, you've just set the kitchen on fire. And it's the community meme where you walk into the room and it's like, how does how did the Syracuse season go? Opens the door, sees everything's on fire. Everybody's screaming. There's a gunshot wound in somebody's leg. And you just are like, OK, cool. You guys do you. Yeah, I think a lot of us are also ignoring the very real possibility that on September 23rd, Brennan Armstrong just says, nah, fam, and decides he's going to make Syracuse's secondary his literal living baby. <laughs> the I, I did say this in the, in the piece and, and Steve I think you were kind of uh, and your your point was on top of this is that getting Louisville and Virginia early is probably the best case scenario all things considered because of the turnover that they have and it's really the only way the Orange can potentially start the season fast is Malik yeah. Cunningham still a thing? yes uh, Malik Cunningham is always a thing no that's <laughs> not right <laughs> I have to double check on that. Um, Malik Cunningham. Okay, let me rephrase that then. Louisville quarterback with potential to hurdle you is always a thing. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Yep, there, there we go. That, that sounds about right. There we go. Now, that's, uh, uh, red, uh, you were talking about that BC senior. game. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, that BC game. Uh, Jerkovic and Flowers have both said they are coming back, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. I think so. The only saving I know, grace I know is York that they're... Is, I know Yorkovic is probably definitely coming back. Um, I'm not sure about Flowers. Yeah, I'm pretty Malik sure Cunningham... we're hearing Flowers back. Malik Cunningham announced on December 3rd that he's returning to Louisville. Oh, that's fun. Um, Let me look up safe Flowers. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm just realizing though that if you're a Syracuse home season ticket holder fan, like you can get to see Malik Cunningham and Brennan Armstrong in the Carrier Dome in like the span of a month. <laughs> Save Flowers is returning. <laughs> hmm. uh, let's look up Yarkovic. Big ghost, because, huh? uh, Well, see you later. Yeah, uh, because I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Yarkovic is also coming back. So I guess the question becomes now, knowing all of this talking about, like, we just, in, a, in the span of 15 minutes, just kind of uh, made ourselves very scared for this football schedule, which... It's funny because three months ago, we all were sitting here saying we knew the schedule was going to be very hard. We knew it was going to be difficult, etc. Knowing all that, uh, Steve, I, the spring game is always your baby. You you do love seeing some spring game, seeing some action there. Uh, April it's, 1st. It's is my first we, look at the offensive line. What else do I need? <laughs> uh, April When April 1st rolls around, knowing what we might need to do in order to win some games, what are you going to want to see out of the spring game? Uh, obviously we're not going to see anything near live game action like the old Marone days, but hypothetically speaking, what would you, what would you need to see to make you go, Hmm, I feel less worried now. Um, is there anything that could, that could be done to make you be less worried? I don't know if there is actually. You're the optimist, so if there is something, it's going to be. You're the only one who would see it. <laughs> yeah, no, I I mean, 
any of the pieces of the puzzle that are being added that may benefit us, we're not going to see that development quick enough to see in the spring game. That's going to be stuff that we won't see till the beginning of the season, till camp. Um, you know, if if Valari turns good and is the next coming of the best quarterback we've ever seen, not holding my breath on that. Um, if you know. Uh, Sean Tucker is going to run for 7,000 yards. Um, in a track singlet. Right, in a track singlet. He, does he officially have to wear that under his uniform now? Probably. So, Nance is probably yes. <laughs> That's all right. That is now Noon's canon. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of the pieces to the puzzle, mostly the quarterback puzzle, like I feel like our entire season hinges on what the quarterback position can do. Um, half a year isn't enough for a nay and back in, in like two months as it is, isn't going to be enough for a nay and back to rework Schrader and unfurl whatever potential there is in his arm. Um, that said... We should, you know, maybe see a little bit of improvement or a little bit of change, or we may be able to see some of the the play play calling grooves that uh, they're they're looking to utilize for him. So uh, I don't know what we're going to glean out of the spring game, but it's at least bodies on the field doing things. Yeah, I think uh, the actual like answer is our first look at the quarterbacks is our first look at. Dan Valori. I think also our first look at Justin Lampson because we really haven't seen any of Justin yeah. Lampson. Not even, not even in um, the limited practice time that we got to see in summer ball in the summer practice. So that I think it's going to be our big things is can is there a quarterback who can actually throw said ball? Yeah, I think I'm. I'm really interested to see if we get into a position where. Um, Up. Yep. Oh, we just lost Steve. Hey, I'm back. For those Man. that are on the live Man. stream. That was good? weird. Cool. Yay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, Maybe. I think. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things that I'm most interested in uh, is not is, on the quarterback side is not just did we, how are these other quarterbacks doing, but it's what has Garrett Trader done in the offseason? Like, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that what is wrong with Garrett Schrader's game is not incredibly evident and is also not incredibly te- technical. Like, there is there's plenty of opportunity for you if you're Garrett Schrader to go out and work with a quarterback coach, spend some time this offseason and really hone in on these fundamentals that are preventing you from being consistent. Because that's really the thing with Schrader is that we know that he can make some throws sometimes. It's just that he doesn't make them in any form of consistency that matters. And you have to think with a new quarterback coming in with the coach literally saying that he does not want to run this run and gun style all the time. And by run and gun, I mean literally run the ball or throw it deep. Uh, you, you have to understand that your arm hat that needs to get better. And I'm really curious to see what part of his game has evolved because we talk about it every time we talk about Garrett Schrader, we talk about Eric Dungy. That was the part about Eric Dungy's game. That was really impressive was just how well he improved his arm, his accuracy, his ability to 
do the things that Dino Babers was going to ask of him each progressive year. And it's and it's a testament to Dungey and just how good and how devoted he was to getting better at all aspects of his game so that by the time his senior year rolled around, he was truly, you know, an unstoppable weapon. I I want to see if Garrett is going to go along that same line or if it's time for us to start looking to the future and look at somebody else because that development just isn't there. He needs to, I mean, yeah. because we saw what happened when there was just such an imbalance on the offense. And Sean Tucker, while we would love to see him run 30 times a game, that's just not sustainable for a second season in a row. So oh, come needs on. Sure it is. Yeah, <laughs> no, we want, we want him to be able to continue to walk after this, right? Yeah. Oh, never mind then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't you, right? Right? Um, <laughs> we, so, like, that's what you would... I mean, yes, Tucker might have a little bit of help when you have Juwan Price and Josh Huff and maybe LeQuint Allen also in that running back room, but there needs to be balance in that, and it's not going to be a high school offense. You don't want it to be in high, a high school offense, especially against the defenses that are in this ACC and against the defenses that you need to win games against. So, Schrader has to throw the ball. And it's got to be a... It's got to be an off-season of, okay, what can you do well and what can't you do well? If you can't do anything well, then that's a problem, and then that's an issue you need to solve very quickly. But if you can do something well, like Schrader has shown that he can complete some good short passes like on slants to Courtney Jackson, and then try and create offensive sets to open those up more regularly. I think that's basically what you have to do. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to, to be able to pinpoint what he can do and to tailor something to it. And if there's nothing he can do outside of being a second running back on the field, which is what we were tasked with for a good couple of games last year, uh, it, especially towards the tail end when people figured out, hey, take away the inside shoulder, he's not going to throw over the top of anyone, and you're good. Like, if they can isolate to the point where it takes out any ability of him to make the plays that he needs to play, make the, make the plays he needs to make in the air, then they need to do something else. There's no, there's no two ways about it. Yeah. I, I I definitely am. I'm happy that we're in a position where this team is at least interesting, that this is not a boring situation. This is not an offseason we're going into where there's things that we expect. There's a lot that can change. And I legitimately hope all things considered now that we're we've got a spring game date. We know that it's going to be televised. We know that that returns me to a question I had uh, a couple of weeks ago. When's the last time a spring game is actually televised for Syracuse? Never. It there used a one year. I think it was my freshman year. It was televised locally on CNY Central. Oh yeah, they may have done it like on 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but was, this... it ever, was it was it ever was it ever on the now former Time Warner Sports Cables Sports Channel? I mean, that might have been it too. I honestly, they all kind of blur together in my brain. Uh, I'll check with Johnny and see if he ever covered one for if they ever actually <laughs> televised it. <laughs> there was definitely one year when it was televised when I was vaguely aware of it of of Syracuse football, but I do believe the practice stopped with. If it didn't stop with Schaefer, it stopped the year before Schaefer came in because they believed it would get more people to go to said spring game. Never does. Um, no, never does. So I'm glad that they're televising it. I'm glad that there's going to hopefully be some media opportunities and there should be an opportunity for us to hear from and talk to the players and the coaching staff because there's a lot of questions that we have. And I'm really intrigued to see what the general vibe and what the personality of this team is going to be. Um, because it's gonna, this is gonna be a cr- really difficult season. Yeah, and they're gonna need to, they're need, gonna need to have their shit in order in order to get this, uh, get the season through. So, on that note, we have almost completed our entire tour. Um, but we do want to do our weekly wrap up of non-revenue sports. Let's talk about the Olympic sports because Christian, the Olympics are happening, and Syracuse has an Olympic tie. <laughs> Syracuse does have an Olympic tie. I forget what her name is, but it is a um, it is a former uh, women's uh, hockey player who is a captain on the Japanese lacrosse team. Hockey uh, team. Uh, the hockey team. I'm in lacrosse mode because uh, lacrosse <laughs> starts next week, and we just saw a goalie assist in the Duke Vermont game. Um, oh, fun! Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, so that is fun that the uh, the Syracuse that Syracuse has a um, a tie. Akande Hoso Yamada, uh, I think is her, uh, how you pronounce her name. Um, but Fantastic. yeah, captain is an is a alternate captain at uh at uh for Japan, which is great. And Japan, I believe, won their first two games, and um in their pool of uh. Uh, women's Olymp- Olympic hockey. So, congrats big to w. them. Big W there. Uh, very, very, very I love much so. After the Summer Olympics, where Syracuse was on, you know, front and center on a lot of things, it's great to great to see some winter love too. Even though uh, I'm sure that those of you who are just local CNYers might know some people down in Lake Placid who have connections. Seeing that Lake Placid and the general Central New York region is going to be where you're going to get Americans training and living or being from when it comes to a lot of those more specialty uh, winter sports that take place. Shout out to Lake Placid. There's three three losers from Saranac and Placid. Uh, Karen Chen, who is a figure skater, is a Cornell student. There we go. The the sun will never set on the Ottoman Empire and its navy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right uh so what do we have coming up for the the uh jetty and bow show what's what's coming you know, up this week um you know, we have to figure out when we're going live next week <laughs> the jetty and bow show will go live whenever we go live which uh <laughs> we'll figure out this week and we'll let you twitchers know uh thank you as always for watching us live on twitch when we do this uh when we do this broadcast and thank you to everybody who re-watches us live because you like to watch us do funny things and see how the Legos are progressing in Steve's background. 
Uh, I also want to do a big shout out to those who have been listening to us. I know that at this point in time, you're not getting John and Dan back. And thank you for those who have stuck with us. (laughs) (laughs) We really do appreciate it. And for everybody new who is joining in on the podcast fun, we're glad to have you here. Uh, We really do appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe, rate us, review us, give us five stars. Uh, If you don't give us four stars or if you don't give us five stars, we're going to assume that you're a Georgetown fan and you don't want that. So please give us give us all the good ratings. Help the algorithm uh, continue to promote our show. And we really appreciate you doing uh, your great supporting. So, yeah, there's my spiel. Uh, I think this is another week where we can end with an actual happy go orange. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Go orange. Go orange. (laughs) That.